0: Welcome to the Positive Education Podcast. I'm your host, Rhiannon McGee. The Positive Education Podcast aims to engage with experts in the field of well-being and positive education in order to provide you with insights and strategies to advance positive education in your school environments and beyond. Today on the show, we have Dr Karen Bluth. Dr Karen Bluth is an assistant professor in the Department of Psychiatry at the University of North Carolina. She's a fellow at Frank Porter Graham Child Development Institute and a certified instructor of Mindful Self-Compassion, which is an internationally acclaimed eight-week course created by Dr Kristen Neff and Dr Chris Germer. Karen is the co-creator of the curriculum, Making Friends With Yourself, a mindful self-compassion program for teens. And this is the teen adaptation of Mindful Self-Compassion for Adults. She's also the author of the book, The Self-Compassion Workbook for Teens. And Karen has done a great deal of research into mindfulness, self-compassion in teens and, and what the correlations with various well-being outcomes are. Karen is a mindfulness practitioner and has been for over 40 years a mindfulness teacher. She's an educator with 18 years of classroom teaching experience and frequently gives talks, conducts workshops and teaches classes in self-compassion and mindfulness in educational and community settings. Uh, We were very, very fortunate to have Dr Karen Bluth at Geelong Grammar School earlier in the year she worked with our staff with our students and presented at our insight series and then I was very fortunate to go on and undertake the teacher training the first teacher training for the making friends with yourself program following that so we loved having Karen here and I'm so pleased to be able to chat to you again Karen welcome
1: well it's great to be here it's great to talk to you too Rhiannon
0: so I just wanted to start, Karen, by asking what led to your interest in mindfulness and, and then from that self-compassion?
1: Yes. So I was a teenager when I first came across, across mindfulness, although it wasn't called that at the time. I, I was, um, it was really pretty serendipitous. I was driving down the road and I needed a project for an independent study that I was doing for an English class. I was a senior in high school. And I saw something at the side of the road that said something about meditation. A transcendent, it was transcendental meditation. And I remembered hearing something about that in one of my classes. And so I just went in and I picked up some of their literature and um, I became initiated into this practice and started practicing. And that's really the beginning of my meditation practice. It wasn't mindfulness practice at the time. But later developed into mindfulness practice, and really that's how it started. And it was, it just made a lot of sense to me at the time, and still does, you know. And and so throughout my adult life, it's been a cornerstone for me. It's been an anchor for me um, throughout my adult life. And then self compassion came about when, let's see, I was a, I was a teacher. I was a classroom teacher for almost twenty years, as you mentioned, and. All through that time, I was meeting with uh, weekly with a meditation group. And we came across a, actually it was a cassette, te- a cassette tape. And it was the Poetry of Self-Compassion, read by David White, a British poet. And this is just a collection of poems that are really, really uh, wonderful and all about self-compassion by various different poets several by Mary Oliver those were my favorites and it was at a time when my children were very young they were little and so I spent a lot of time in the car with them driving around trying to get them to fall asleep <laughs> in the back of the car and so I listened to this uh these poems over and over again and they really uh are really they I really internalized them and then when I started reading about Kristen Neff's work, when I was in graduate school, it's, it sort of clicked for me. And I realized that this is really what teens needed. And there had been no work on teens up until that point. Nothing had been published. This and, is like 2008,
0: and, 2009. And before we um, explore the, the work you've done um, with teens, Karen, I perhaps realise that some of our listeners might not be that familiar with the research into self-compassion, which has really been pioneered by Kristen Neff. Could you share a little bit into into that work and into what we've learned from Neff's work?
1: Yeah, so um, Kristen Neff is a researcher Uh and a psychologist at University of Texas at Austin. And in 2003, she published several papers. One was providing the definition of self-compassion for research purposes. And the other was a scale that she had developed to measure self-compassion. And so informally, the way self-compassion is defined is by treating yourself the way you would treat a good friend when you're struggling. So if you've had a bad day or you've had a hard time, treating yourself um, with the kindness and care that you would treat a good friend. And so we know that almost 80% of us are much kinder to our friends than we are to ourselves. To ourselves, So it's learning how to be kind to yourself. And so just some of the research that um, Kristen and at this point other people have done um, have shown that People who are more self-compassionate have less anxiety, depression, and stress, and more uh, report being um, higher in uh, or have greater happiness, greater satisfaction with their lives, more optimism, a greater sense of community. Um, So... This research is, I guess, about at this point, 16 years, uh, has, been, has been around for 16 years. And so I think almost 2,000 studies at this point.
0: Wow. And so your, your work has really extended that research into the adolescent population. So can you share a little bit about your PhD and, and work since then, Karen?
1: Yeah. So as I was saying earlier that 2008, 2009, there had been no work Published on self compassion and teens, the self compassion and adult work was only five five or six years old at that point. And the first paper was published in two thousand ten, and that was by Kristen Neff and Pittman McGeehy. And and then I I started um, I graduated my um, two thousand twelve with my PhD, and my dissertation was titled mindfulness and self-compassion exploring pathways to adolescent emotional well-being so it's all about how mindfulness and self-compassion can potentially be really um, helpful for teens and so what that work showed um, some of which i published was that teens who had more self-compassion also had less negative affect felt more satisfied with their lives um, had less stress. So the other work that's gone on since then, mine and other and a you know, number of other people have published work on teens at this point. And so um, basically the, what we're seeing are the same kinds of effects that we see with adults so that the more self-compassionate teens are, the less likely they are to be depressed or anxious or um, and also have experienced less stress.
0: And you know, I know. Um, sorry, Karen. I, I, when I came to your to your work, it was when I was studying my masters of applied positive psychology, and really felt as someone who worked in the wellbeing space, and particularly it was at a girls' school at the time, highly academic, high levels of perfectionism. That this was something that we really needed to explore in the in the context of schools, and also though I suppose making that research practical. And applicable in settings such as schools is is quite the challenge. So, your "Making Friends with Yourself" program really provides something a more tangible outcome, I suppose, of that research. and Can you share a little bit about that
1: program? Yeah, so "Making Friends with Yourself" is an eight week program that meets weekly for about an hour and forty five minutes. And in that program, we teach tools of self compassion. So. It has a foundation of mindfulness, but we teach through various different tools that involve um, art and music and a couple of games and a number of guided meditations. We teach teens how to use these tools to be kinder to themselves. And for some teens, it's um, actually for most teens, it's eye opening because like most adults also uh, teens feel like they have to beat themselves up in order to do well and so it's very eye-opening to realize that that isn't really necessary that that um, you can stay motivated by encouraging yourself in a positive way rather than beating yourself up and especially with harsh self-criticism, you know, that that can be really deadly for motivation. So making friends with yourself teaches those skills. We also have a classroom version now of the program, which is 16 weeks long and is uh, 45 to 15 minutes per week for 16 weeks. And that was, uh, we created that program simply because there was a demand for it. You know, people were asking for a program that could fit into the classroom to, you know, under an hour.
0: And so, you know, there's, you know, a growing body of research, Karen, to show that there are correlations between self-compassion and uh, positive wellbeing uh, outcomes, I suppose, but also through the research around Kristen Neff's program and and your own program, um, indications that we can actually cultivate self-compassion which I think is exciting and encouraging for those who are working with young people, or for all of us really, <laughs> who probably could use a little bit more self compassion. Can you provide a little bit of in, uh, insight into w- where the research is at now in terms of the efficacy of being very deliberate about engaging with self compassion practices?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we have uh, two published studies on uh, making friends with yourself that show positive. Positive outcomes. Um, there's another one that's under review right now. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a number of people internationally doing uh, um, that have ongoing studies with making friends with yourself. There's three that I know of for type one diabetes for teens with type one diabetes, um, and um, but those results are not out yet. And for for the adult program for mindful self compassion, there are a number of studies right now that that show positive effects for the interventions i don't know the number offhand, but I started looking you know maybe six months ago and it was a lot you know a few years ago it was just a couple, but now it's there are quite a few and and that show positive outcomes, everything from um you know, lower anxiety and depression and greater um, overall mental health and and well-being overall, even physical well-being.
0: And um, I suppose those who are new to this concept of self-compassion might be a little bit unsure as to what that looks like in practice. Could you um, share a little bit about what some of the core practices are um, that are within the adult program and the teen program?
1: Yes. Yeah, so, um, well, with the adult program, a couple of the core practices, one, actually, I just taught today to uh, mm. a group of, of, of um, nursing assistants, actually. And so, what, so this practice is called self-compassion break, and it uses all three components of self-compassion. So the three components of self-compassion are mindfulness, common humanity, and self-kindness. So mindfulness in this case is having balanced awareness of what's happening as it's happening and not, um, not getting carried away with your emotional response to it. So it involves acknowledging. So the first step is acknowledging that you're struggling right now. So um, saying to yourself, oh, this is a moment of struggle. And that's the mindfulness component. And then the second component is Uh, common humanity, and common humanity would be uh, saying to yourself, suffering is part of life. So, And I think that piece is pretty key because often when we are struggling, we feel all alone. And even though we may know intellectually that we all struggle, that struggling is part of being human, that it's normal to feel sad or angry or depressed or frustrated or whatever, when it's actually happening to us, often we forget that it happens to others, and we we think we're the only ones. So when we say to ourselves, "Yeah, struggle," you know, struggling is part of life. This is part of being human. It acknowledges that common humanity piece. And then the third part is the self-kindness piece. And so this is the piece where you take um, an active role in saying some kind words to yourself or giving yourself what we call a soothing touch or a supportive touch. So this could be a hand on your heart or um, maybe stroking your face with a couple of fingers or giving yourself a hug, patting yourself on the back and doing that in in combination with saying some kind words to yourself like, oh, I'm so sorry you're dealing with this right now i know this is really hard you're strong you'll make it through and we do that for our friends readily easily we'll say those kinds of things to our friends we'll give our friend a hug um, but we don't do those things for ourselves and, and yeah yeah go ahead I, go. You go. I was going to say that um that the soothing touch piece is actually a physiological reason that it works it begins a process of uh, a release of oxytocin and opiates in our in our system in our bodies that are the feel good hormones. So these hormones allow us to relax, and these are these are the chemicals that are released when we pet the dog, for example. Feels good for the dog. It feels good for us. Or a toddler falls and hurts herself. So we would run over, pick up the toddler, hold the toddler, and give them warmth soothing touch so you know we do this kind of thing all the time for others we're just not used to doing it for ourselves
0: and karen i've been with you when you've engaged some teenagers with that particular soothing touch practice some adults i've i've worked with other teachers as well and young people myself in sharing that practice and You know, um, we know when we're dealing with fairly cynical teenagers, that can be quite an interesting one to engage them with. Can you tell me how you set that up? Because it is quite, you know, and certainly when I came to the self-compassion practices first myself, there was a bit of like, oh, this is weird. Like, why am I stroking my face and, you know, (laughs) giving myself a hug? How embarrassing. I hope no one's looking. Um, How do you navigate that? Because I I do think the self-compassion practices require quite a deal of um, vulnerability, you know, so can you share about how you set up that space, how you introduce a practice like soothing touch, for instance, to a group of 14, 15 year
1: olds? Yeah, well, I always give the physiological explanation first, you know, because I think that really takes the whole like weirdness, out of it, or at least a lot of the weirdness out of it, a lot of that kind of woo-woo, you know, this is weird, that there's actually, a, you know, a physical response that, that goes on in our bodies when we do this. And I think once I explain that, that um, it's a lot easier for teens to engage. And I fully acknowledge with the teens that, you know, if they say, well, it felt kind of weird, you know, it's like, yeah, it feels weird. And it feels weird because guess what? We're not used to doing it. We don't normally do this. And it's like sitting down at the piano for the first time. You know, it feels weird. It's the first time you kick a soccer ball, you know, it's going to feel weird and uncomfortable because you're not used to doing it. And then once you practice and you spend some time with it, it doesn't feel so weird anymore. You know, and in fact, it feels kind of good. (laughs) Yeah, And, you know, it is it is interesting, I think, for me
0: personally, when I came to this you know notion of self-compassion and started to apply it to myself and it is quite powerful and confronting I think when you do realise wow I don't show myself the same kind of compassion and concern that I show the people who are close to me and I think in my experience with young people that's perhaps what resonates with them the most you know some of the exercises reflecting on well how do you respond to a friend who's going through a hard time and then in contrast how do you respond to yourself and even just that notion that you can treat yourself the way you treat a good friend and you know our young people are often you know their friends are everything to them and um on the whole (laughs) they can be quite quite lovely to them um but that seems to really resonate with young people and what are your thoughts on that concept I can be kind to myself versus the practice, you know, because they're, they're kind of two levels, aren't they? And, and self-compassion is is really um, experiential. Do you think it's enough just to, to, to know and understand on a conceptual level, I can be kind to you, myself or do you really need to bring it into that kind of bodily felt place, do you think?
1: Yeah, so I think um, for some teens, it's uh, just the conceptual piece is eye-opening and they can... Get a lot out of that, but I think for most teens, really feeling and and feeling what self compassion is actually like mm-hmm. makes a big difference. You know, the the feeling of putting your hand over your heart and just feeling like your heart is protected, or for example, one of the practices that's very moving for um, many teens is a practice called compassionate friend, mm-hmm. and the purpose of this whole of the compassionate friend practice is that they realize that they actually have a very wise voice within them. So that experience of doing that particular guided meditation is pretty profound for most teens.
0: What does, what happens in the meditation,
1: Karen, essentially? So in that meditation, they imagine a safe place first And we take them through that. It's, you know, we talk about a place on the beach or a place in the woods or at their friend's house. And so they imagine that. And then they imagine a person coming in who is their compassionate friend. And their compassionate friend is somebody who loves them completely and accepts them completely for who they are. And um, then their compassionate friend and their compassionate friend understands where they are in their life right now. And then um, the compassionate friend says something to them, and it's just what they need to hear. And then they have the option of saying something back to their compassionate friend. And then we say something like, uh, at the end, like, um, you know, first of all, you can call upon your compassionate friend whenever you need to. But also that, you know, recognize that this compassionate friend is actually a part of you, that it's a deep part of yourself. And they realize because they really created this being in their mind that in fact, yes, they can retrieve that being that or that sense of that being whenever they need to. And that, that wisdom is there within them. And that's very um, surprising for them to realize and very uh, moving.
0: I mean, how wonderful. I know so many people, when I, when I mention this approach uh, to research and practice um, of self-compassion they think, say oh if only I was introduced to that when I was a teenager <laughs> You know, oh gosh I'd need that you know as an adult and what do you think I've of,
1: heard that a lot no. yeah,
0: if I've heard it you've heard it 20 times more yeah do you what do you think about the longevity of of a practice like that so you know that first introduction to you know the possibility of of being compassionate to oneself, of being able to kind of call on this voice, this compassionate voice from within. How does that become a ongoing practice, or just part of a way of being?
1: Well, I think I think um, the knowledge of just knowing that mm-hmm. and remembering that there is that compassionate voice right there within. You know that 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 is that that and that is there whenever you need it is, is, you know, very helpful, really, really helpful. So that's one practice that the teens really like. And then we also have um, some mindfulness practices. There's uh, music meditation where they listen to a piece of music that doesn't have a strong beat. That's very melodic. It's just instrumental and it's very soothing. So they find it very restful. And I think, um, you know, for most teens these days, they're so busy and they have so much going on in their lives. So to come into a space where things are calm and moving more slowly and that's spacious is really very, um, it's very different and it's very calming and they really like it.
0: I think one thing that really struck me about the Making Friends With Yourself uh, program is that in order to really engage an age group that isn't is you know adolescent, there are different approaches to mindfulness, and the mindful art uh, element I think is is something that is different to the adult adult program. Can you share a little bit about yours? And it was Lorraine Hobbs that you developed this with, wasn't it? This
1: program, right? Yeah. What was your yeah.
0: thinking in, in bringing in the, the the art element?
1: Yeah, So um, we wanted when we did our first pilot one thing that we realized was that we didn't have enough mindfulness in there and that the kids got the self-compassion piece, but they didn't get necessarily get the mindfulness piece. So we wanted to find ways to incorporate mindfulness. That was one reason. Another was that we needed some kind of transition from their everyday lives to the different environment that we were bringing them into. We wanted something to sort of slow them down. So that they could kind of let go a little bit and make that transition into a more, um, a more settled space, you know, a space that wasn't as frenetic. We wanted them also to have a place where they could chat a little bit with people when they came in and not be on their phones, you know. So, we came up with these different art activities. And so, the art activities are short. They're at the beginning of each class, they're about 10 minutes long, and they serve those different purposes. So, they chat for the first couple minutes, maybe the first five minutes, and then go into a a time and the next five minutes that's quieter. Also, it's not about the art. You know, we emphasize that it's not about producing some beautiful piece of art, it's about the process of. Holding the pen, feeling the pen in your hand, of feeling the pen as it's as you're drawing it across the paper, noticing thoughts that are arising, maybe noticing judgmental thoughts, feelings that are arising. And so we guide them through this, through the 10 minutes. And really, I suppose
0: that it doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be this brilliant piece of work. Work really
1: just touches on our tendency towards perfectionism, doesn't it? right and we have them we really encourage them to just not even to think about what it looks like
0: i suppose just on the making friends with yourself program karen i know that there's been some really encouraging research as to the impact on well-being but could you share a little bit about some of the observations you've made in your time working with teens
1: with this program oh yeah we um, there's so many that um, i just got an email yesterday actually from a senior in high school, actually, she just graduated. She's taking a gap year. And she just took the class last spring. And she just thinks that it can revolutionize schools. I mean, she yeah. just said this is, you know, like the greatest thing. She just went on and on about talking about how powerful it is. And she wished she had it in middle school. And she wants to work mm-hmm. with us now to do whatever she can to try to bring it to schools. And so we'll be meeting with her in, in a week or two and talking with her about it. So, yeah, so we've, you know, kids have said things like, you know, I'm not so worried about what other people think of me because I like me. <laughs> and and I just taught, taught it in August, uh, just about a month ago. And, you know, the kids are always a little bit resistant, a little bit nervous about coming in the first day and, the, after the last class, one of the students said to me, You know, to be honest with you, I wasn't that excited about coming in the first day. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, it's funny because I know this. Yeah. You know, <laughs> this kind of par for the course with teens. Said, but it was really great and I really liked it and I really got a lot out of it. And thank you so much for offering it. And this particular group of teens really wants me to do a kind of a refresher class every month. Right. So we're going to try to pull that off and bring them together once a month.
0: And so, Karen, this is uh, the Making Friends With Yourself program is an eight-week course and there is now this curriculum which I think is about 16 16 sessions um, long. For those who are listening who might be teachers or parents and, you know, really like many people acknowledge that perhaps their young people could do with a little bit more self-compassion but
1: are a little bit um, unsure as where to
0: begin, what would you recommend
1: to them? Well, luckily now we have um, almost 200 teachers trained internationally. So there are lots of teachers in lots of places so that could teach um, the course. Also, I would recommend though, probably before that, first and foremost, to to get some self-compassion training for themselves. Because as we know that that teens and children watch us all the time they watch how they watch our actions they watch our behavior they watch how we treat ourselves and if we when we drop something in the kitchen and it and it shatters or we make a mistake in front of the classroom you know if we demonstrate that we're beating ourselves up then that's what they're going to pick up so we have to model Self compassion ourselves. So, um, you know, I try to do this when, you know, if I make a mistake, which happens not infrequently, (laughs) you know, in front of the class, I'll make a point of saying, okay, look, I just made a mistake, right? I should have done this, but instead I did this. So I have a choice here. I can beat myself up. I can say to myself, gosh, I'm such an idiot. I'm so stupid. Why did I do that? Or I could just say, you know what? I made a mistake. I'm going to fix it, own up to it and correct it, you know, so to demonstrate that whole process. And we know that people who are more self-compassionate will more readily apologize and, and own up to their mistakes. And of course the reason for this is because there um, isn't that fear of failure, you know, so, If you're self-compassionate, you know, you're not going to beat yourself up if you fail or if you make a mistake, you know, so it's more likely um, self-compassionate people are more likely to, for that reason, own up to their, their mistakes. And they're also more likely to take risks and try new things. I mean, and that's the thing
0: too, there is um, there is a strong correlation between self-compassion and motivation and academic outcomes, I believe. I remember uh, working with some year nine students last year and one boy said, but if you're self-compassionate, doesn't that mean that you're not going to achieve as much?
1: You know, which I thought was quite an insightful
0: question. Can you speak to that a little, Karen?
1: Yeah, so um, so a lot of people think that and that's one of the common misconceptions of of self, uh, self-compassion is that you know, does this mean that I'm going to end up like a blob on the couch eating chocolate all day long, right? (laughs) But we know that that's not true. And we know it's not true because, well, from the research, what what we know is that you're actually more motivated to work hard to try new things because you're not afraid of failing. There isn't that feeling that, oh, if I fail, I'm going to beat myself up. So you're more likely to work hard.
0: And and actually I know that some some teachers I've worked with, with have been really interested in how we cultivate self-compassion in moments of failure, you know, around getting not failure necessarily but perceived failure, getting a mark that you're not happy with or not doing as well in a subject that you would like. There's some real scope there for incorporating some self-compassion,
1: being quite explicit about that. Yeah, that's a great opportunity to practice some self-compassion. And it's important to know that um, – self compassion doesn't mean you're letting yourself off the hook. Yeah. So that's another common misconception. It means if you didn't study for for an exam for example and you didn't do well and then you're mad at yourself because you didn't do well. You know, the self compassionate person would say, "Well, you know what? I should have studied harder. I made a mistake." Yeah. You know, I made a mistake. I'm going to learn from that mistake. Next time I'm going to study more. But I don't have to beat myself up for it. I can learn from it without beating myself up. I'm human. I made a mistake. This is what humans do. Yeah.
0: And do you think there's some link there, Karen, with the growth mindset research that Carol Dweck has done?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, I think that, that there is and that we know, although I don't think there's been any research on yeah, it that I, I know of, I mean, there might be that that I don't know of, but um, that has correlated those mm. those things: growth mindset and self-compassion. But, but yeah, I think that uh, people who are more self-compassionate are are more likely to believe that they can they can change. They can make you know if there's something they're not happy about, that they can they can make that change.
0: What are you working yeah. on? What are you working on now, Karen?
1: Oh, well, I have two book contracts, so I'm working on yep. two new books. <laughs> I am um, working on developing, with some other people, working on developing a curriculum, a mindful self-compassion curriculum for teachers. Great, right. And also one for young adults that will be online. Um, and that one, I believe, is pretty close to being completed. Um, So working on those different curricula, plus um, several other projects um, similar to those, Mm -hmm. I am. I've been trying for a number of years to get funded and uh, a a grant. I'm trying to get a grant to uh, work with kids who are um, trans, trans kids, because trans kids really, really beat themselves up a lot, Um, and a lot of self-loathing, a lot of self-criticism. And and so I've been um, trying to get some funding for that. I'm really interested in working with that.
0: And so for those listening who are interested in exploring more, I know that there are some online resources um, that they could access. Is it via your website? And I think Kristen Neff's website as well.
1: Right. So uh, my website, which is karenbluth.com. Mm-hmm. Kristen Neff's website is selfcompassion.org. Um, also, the Center for Mindful Self Compassion is the center that runs all the um, teacher trainings and mm-hmm. um, many of the courses for uh, mindful self compassion. And that's centerformsc.org. Yeah, those are probably the main ones. Also,
0: chrisgermer.com, I believe. And as I mentioned earlier, your self-compassion workbook for teens, I know, I I have and has some really wonderful activities that are within the making friends with yourself program that are quite accessible via that book Um, and also there are some of those on your website I believe as well Karen and it's really exciting to hear that there's going to be an online option actually I think you know one of one of the challenges is always um, accessibility isn't it and yeah it sounds like um, these really important programs are becoming more and more accessible to young people and to adults which is great.
1: Yeah. Yeah, you know, there is already an, an adult mindful self compassion course online, but we're creating one for young adults. And maybe there might be one for teens down the road also.
0: And if our listeners wanted to begin exploring this particular area of research and practice, what book would you recommend that they start with, Karen? Always hard to choose one, I know. Oh, this is
1: hard. (laughs) What book? It depends on what they're looking for. So there's a number of books. Okay. So Kristen Neff and Chris Germer recently published a book on their program itself, which is, it's called Mindful Self-Compassion. I don't recall the subtitle, but it's by Kristen Neff, N-E-F-F, and Chris Germer, G-E-R-M-E-R. And that's a workbook. It's a Mindful Self-Compassion workbook. And that's available. So that would be, that I think would probably, if you're an adult, that would be the, the best one, I think. If you want to read about Kristen Neff's story, um, she has a book that's just called Self-Compassion. And um, there's also a subtitle, which I don't recall, my apologies. Um, and Chris Germer also has a book called um, Mindful Path to Self-Compassion. Yeah. And then if you're a teen, um, Of course, I'd recommend my workbook.
0: (laughs) As would I. (laughs) Okay. So, Karen, I just, we've loved this year having so much to do with you. And I think one of the highlights for me on the making friends with yourself teacher training was when you saw a kangaroo for the first time.
1: (laughs) Oh, that was so wonderful. (laughs) And I saw so many after that, and that was... uh... That was, that was just priceless. Very special, moment, And, you know, the listeners may be in
0: Australia, may be across the world, but it's encouraging to know that there are more and more teachers now um, qualified to deliver the Making Friends With Yourself program across the world. And I believe that it would be a matter of getting on to the, is it the selfcompassion.org website or the Mindful selfcompassion website to, to get a sense of how, how people can access the courses.
1: Yeah, so all the courses now are through centerforMSC.org, the Center for Mindful Self-Compassion. So if teachers were interested in getting trained to teach this for teens, what they would have to do is first take the adult course, and there are a lot of people teaching that everywhere, and that's mindful self-compassion, that's the first step, and then to come to one of our trainings, one of our making friends with yourself trainings, and those also are offered through the Center for Mindful Self-Compassion
0: and I having undertaken that training highly recommend because as always with these experiences it's not just about um, learning how to teach it's actually about your own personal practice and it's a personal journey as well you know and I suppose you've really touched on that Karen that you know like everything we do in this space where we're trying to instill well-being practices into the lives of our young people we really need to start with ourselves first don't we
1: Yes, absolutely. It's the only way that it can truly be authentic.
0: Mm. Karen, thank you so much for your time and for what you are doing to contribute to this field. And it's just a pleasure to speak to you as always.
1: Oh, well, it's a pleasure to speak with you, Rhiannon. Thanks so much for having me. Mm-hmm.
0: We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please feel free to refer to the fact sheet, which is available on our website at www.instituteofpositiveeducation.com.